1: I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet. As always, the offseason kind of starting already. A couple of trades starting to trickle through. A couple of UFA re-signing so far. But the Stanley Cup final, still going. But the way it's going, it might not be going for much longer. Game 2 comes and goes, and Vegas absolutely stopped. Florida, 7-2. to two. This game was over from puck drop.
0: Yeah, I can't help but notice you're uh, brushing over the fact that uh, my my fantasy team beat your fantasy team in in the draft we had in the last episode. So what? Yeah, no, I mean it, it's cool, it's cool. I I, yeah, I, I didn't just win, I crushed you. It's it, I don't, it's okay. I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. talking about. It's okay. It's okay. Um,
1: I, I will give you credit,
0: people. People are very much underestimating Joe Sack and Nathan MacKinnon centers. Um, but yeah, the Cup final. Uh. A lot of egg on my face right now because I, I, I thought the Panthers were going to play better. I don't think, like, Vegas is doing anything special. They're just a better coached team, and they're executing their game plan to a T. And Sergei Bobrovsky has turned back into the Sergei Bobrovsky we know. And Aiden Hill just continues to play fantastic hockey.
1: What What I've seen from Vegas in this series is some of the most structured hockey I've seen in a long time. And again, it's what I've said about this Vegas team for most of the playoffs, especially in this series, is that Bruce Cassidy has come in here and put a whole different system in. And you look at a guy like Ivan Barbashev, who gets traded here at the deadline. It's like he's been fine in St. Louis. You know, we talked about him a little at the deadline, not a game breaker, but you look at what he's been able to do with Vegas. It's almost an immediate jump. And that immediately pops out to me as the system he's playing in. Everything for Vegas is working right now. Aiden Hill is out of his mind. Everyone's doing their job to a T and Florida just can't keep up with them. No, they can't keep up with them. And it's just been like
0: game one was close-ish, but the blast four periods of hockey have been Vegas just absolutely dominating and taking control of this series. Now we are recording this before game three, which takes place today. By the time you're listening to this, it could all change by tomorrow night. Florida could bounce back, but I just, it's been, it's weird because you would have thought that Florida's weak defense would have been exposed by like the likes of Boston, Toronto and Carolina. No, it's being exposed by a bunch of just solid hockey players for Vegas that are just finding ways to score goals.
1: Yeah, I I really think this layoff did not help Florida no. at all. I really think it was bad for their momentum, but it's also the way Vegas is playing. Honestly, I think it's less that Florida is bad suddenly, or rather just Vegas is just playing so perfectly. They're doing everything so well. It's not just Aiden Hill carrying them through this. I mean, they've scored more goals in these two games than the Carolina Hurricanes did against Florida in that entire four-game series. They've scored 12 goals in two games. Since the third period of game one, it's been 10-2. to And those two goals for Florida were meaningless in the third period of that game. It's been all Vegas. And... Even Bobrovsky, yeah, he hasn't been great. He's getting no help, no. and it's just everything's going wrong for Florida because Vegas is doing everything perfectly. It's been
0: crazy, man. I I, I did not see this coming. I thought this was going to be a really competitive series, but it's. It's, it's been very noticeable that the Panthers are very much just trying to create a physical presence and it's just not working for them. Like Matthew Kachuk cannot keep serving these 10 minute misconducts. He's the best player for Florida. And he served three or four 10 minute misconducts in these two games. Like that just cannot happen.
1: Yeah. He got basically booted from game one at the end, got booted for misconduct in the second period of game two. And then for another one, granted, Kind of weak misconducts. Yes. I don't know if I agree with these. The the hit on Jack Eichel. I'm usually the first guy to hop in here and be like, maybe we should be doing something about this. There's nothing he could have done about that. That Jack it. Eichel legitimately toe picked and probably took the worst of the hit because of it, while also avoiding like a disaster of like yeah. hurting his neck again or getting hit in the head on that hit just off of bad luck. Seemed like he still managed to avoid the worst of it. But then it's just like it is for Vegas in this series. Jack Eichel's perfectly fine for the third period, comes back out there and just sets up basically a backbreaker to to Jonathan Marsh's so where it's like Vegas or not Vegas, Florida got one 16 seconds in. And you're like, okay, like it's exactly what you need to do when you're down four-nothing in the third period. All of that's gone because of that just incredible. And just
0: bloodline. terrible defensive coverage on that. I have no idea what Ekblad was doing. Like really? Ekblad has
1: been atrocious in the series so He's far and horrible. Like you look at just the screenshot of the puck on its way to Marcia. So from Eichel, there's no one in the same zip code as him. Yeah. He's all alone. And also Jonathan Marcia. doing this to Florida is kind of funny.
0: It's very funny. It's not kind of funny. It's very funny.
1: It's very funny, uh, You're right.
0: But. It's just, I, I don't know, man. Like I I still think Florida has a chance. Like they just need to find a way to not be psychopaths on the ice and keep taking all these stupid, stupid calls. Like, do I agree they're officiating in game two was pretty rough. Like it wasn't the bestly officiated game. I felt like Vegas got away with a lot of stuff, but then Florida got away with some stuff too. Like it was just, I feel like the refs kind of lost control of that game. Uh, which you don't want to have happen in the Stanley Cup final. But Vegas is more set up for losing players because they just have guys they can plug and play wherever the fuck they want.
1: Yeah, I mean, just look at the goal scorers in game two for Vegas. They get two from Jonathan Marchessault, then it's Alec Martinez, his first to the playoffs. Nicholas Waugh, Brett Howden, Michael Amadio, and Howden with another one. Like These are all guys just coming through, stepping up and doing their job. And Kachuk was better. In Game Two, but again, still didn't play in 20 minutes of the game. Got himself a goal, and no one else has been able to to answer for Florida in this series.
0: Dude, where has Barkov been? I, we have not said his name. Like right? he what? has been absent, not just from this series, but pretty much the playoffs altogether. I, he has just disappeared. Like I get, he's defending Eichel and all that, but
1: not that he's well. one of the-
0: yeah, he's one of the top 10 players in the league and he's not playing up to that standard.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a pretty tough season for Barkov between a lot of injuries and in the playoffs. He was good in a couple of the games against Carolina. Other than that, it there hasn't been a lot from him and he's just he's getting outplayed by Jack Eichel just straight up. Every, pretty much everyone on Florida is getting outplayed by Jack Eichel right now. Everyone on Florida is just getting outplayed. Period. There has not been a single thing for Florida that you can point to and be like, at least they can carry this into the rest of the series.
0: No, I mean, did it not give you major vibes game two last year between the the Lightning and the Abs, where it was just like the Abs are just skating up and down around these guys, and yeah. even the best goalie in the world can't stop them right now.
1: But it's also like this last year, it didn't feel like it was over after game two, but it's like you felt good but yeah. you didn't feel like it was over because it was Tampa. End game one went to overtime and right. was a pretty close game. That one kind of just felt like everything went your went your way that night. The way these two games have gone, I have a very bad track record of saying this, I know, but the odds are not in Florida's favor right now. You go back to 2009 when the Penguins were able to come back from down 2-0. Only one team in the final has been able to do that since, and that was the 2011 Boston Bruins. Since that time, I believe seven teams have gone up 2-0 in the final, and none of those series have even gone seven, let alone have a comeback. I know what you're saying, but I just want more hockey, so I'm going to
0: keep dying on this hill that I think Florida's going to find a way. Uh, it's just they have to, they have to find a way to break through and get some quality scoring chances on Aiden Hill. Like it's just been it's been rough. It's been really rough to watch these two games cuz Vegas has just been suffocating in their own zone.
1: Yeah, they they're just doing everything right right now. They don't have the sexiest team, they don't have the biggest superstars in the league, but they they just they just do everything right. It's just the best way to describe them. They do all of the right things they're not chasing people down and trying to make big hits behind the play but they don't take shit either it's it's kind of tough because we don't like vegas and we obviously wanted florida to win this series but florida i feel like kind of needs a miracle they need bobrovsky to come back and he's gonna start game three and they need him to genuinely make 40 saves that's i feel like their only chance
0: yeah yeah i agree i i I don't feel great about it, but I do think they're going to respond. I, w- I think they win. Florida wins game three, but it would not shock me to least if Vegas wins game four and then closes it out in five. Like, that, that would not shock me.
1: Yeah. I mean, Florida needs to win both in Florida. If they're down three to one, they're not winning this series. They're not going to take this Vegas team and everything that's happened and win three in a row when they've never won a game in Vegas ever. They're going to have to win both in Florida and then – Hope to God they can somehow win one in Vegas somehow. Whether that's five or seven, if it goes seven, that would be I believe their tenth game in Vegas ever. So if you you win one out of ten in Vegas, that's all you. You're need. good. Yeah, You're good. But uh, I, I I sadly am begrudgingly going to admit that I, I think
0: Vegas is going to win the cup in five or six now. It, it just unless we see something completely different in tonight's game, it it's it's not looking good.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the Panthers have the ability. To do it, they have the player. They have Matthew Kachuk, who has proven this whole season, not just in the playoffs, this whole season to be one of the best players in the world. When Sergei Bobrovsky is up to the task, it gives them the goalie that they've been missing for years. They have players with the ability to do it. But when you look at this series, like they can win one game. That's awesome. You're still going to lose in five. You need to win four of the next five against this Vegas team that has. The entire playoffs done everything so well and made every goalie they've gone against look bad and yeah. sub 900. Connor Hellebuck statistically has been the best goalie against Vegas in these playoffs. That's a pretty funny to think about because that
0: series feels like nine years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Vegas is just a really good hockey team. And that pains me to say they're just really good.
1: Yeah, this, this feels like a very different, I mean, obviously it feels different. They're two wins away from the cup, but this is a much different identity for the Golden Knights than the one they've had in the first five years of their existence. They finally have the right coach behind the bench. And you got to give them credit, like we've said, for making all of the bold moves over the last six years. And all of them are paying off at the right time. That sucks to say,
0: but it is, it is, it really sucks. I'm I'm really not looking forward to the episode after they win the cup. That's going to suck.
1: Yeah. That's going to really suck. It helps that we were kind of prepared for it. Yeah. At this point where they're just playing so unbelievably well that it's almost unfortunate.
0: I think Carolina would have been a better matchup for like Carolina and Vegas would have been a better, like, matchup. I think Carolina, the way they play would have been better.
1: I agree. I think we're seeing a similar result, but I think Carolina statistics or stylistically plays Vegas better than Florida would, but also Florida crushed them. Yeah. And and now they're getting crushed by a team with a very similar system, but just, I think better, better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Carolina Vegas would have been like one of the most boring cup final, because that would have just been like a game that was just played in the neutral zone and shots from the blue line.
1: Honestly, it might be four or five anyway, because there's not a lot of people in Carolina that can score. And they they don't have, like, the elite 50 goal scorer, but no one on this team has problems scoring. They're
0: almost like a better version of what the Blues were last year. I know they didn't have, like, the 920 goal scorers, but everyone is scoring for them right now.
1: Yeah. And, like it goes back to Aiden Hill. Like this is genuinely their fourth string goalie, a guy who I believe it was last season. They gave a fourth round pick for from the sharks and has turned into this. It might not even just be anything. It might just be the system in front of him. That's working so well and allowing him to have enough room. He's also making that save like he did in game one, just case in point is anything going to go wrong for this Vegas team. Not this year, but
0: next year is going to be interesting because what, what is Aiden Hill going to get as a contract?
1: I think we've seen enough goalies at this point who get hot in the playoffs and then immediately it's time for a new contract. There's, I think, enough cautionary tales that he might not get the massive payday we're all thinking, but it almost kind of certainly means he's gone from Vegas.
0: Yeah, that's kind of my thought too because Robin Leonard is going to come back next year. Reporting. Eventually. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like they're not going to buy him out. Cause I think he still has like two or three years left on that deal. He has two left at $5 million. I mean, we Robin Leonard, I'm just very interested to see what's going to happen with him because yeah. between the injuries and the uh, bankruptcy stuff, right. we don't really know when he's coming back, but also Vegas has Logan Thompson still right. locked up at under $800,000 for two more seasons. So they already have their cheap goaltending option who is a year younger than Aiden Hill, if they can somehow work out a decent deal with Hill, then that's a pretty solid tandem to have Thompson and Hill. But how much credit is going to Hill and how much of it is going to just how Vegas runs their team? Right. I could totally see Aiden Hill in Toronto
0: and just fucking sucking
1: (laughs) once he gets there. It's just such a weird one because even with like Matt Murray, before this in 2016 and 17, there was at least like he played in the regular season, especially in 2017 and then started to get the contract. Even with Bennington, there was at least like 40% of a regular season where he was decent with Aiden Hill. It's just like, this guy has been a backup at best in his career. Most of the time, a third goalie and then comes in for the playoffs and has just been absolutely
0: not even for the, in the second round he comes in. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to see. That's going to be interesting to see what Vegas does in the offseason. But yeah, I wish it was a better report for the Stanley Cup final and that there was more to talk about. But Vegas is just kicking the shit out of Florida.
1: Yeah. I mean, in game two, there's a lot to talk about. But the fact of the matter is that the game was basically over from puck drop. It was four nothing going into the third period. And the, the result was never in question. So like, yeah, a lot happened, but it doesn't really matter. No. I mean, I
0: knew the game was over once Martinez scored because that goal cannot go in. I do not know how that beat
1: Bobrovsky. Yeah, but it's it's a tough. I mean, Marcia, scoring two goals against them, first ones on the power play. The good thing for Florida, I think the only thing helping them right now is that they have two days off. They're going back home. They can reset. And maybe just maybe find a way to survive this onslaught and just get on the board in the series. Get on the board in the final ever, because now they're six in the final. Sorry about that, Florida, but
0: that's tough.
1: They got that's it's a tough road for them. They've got a lot of work to do.
0: I got. I'm gonna hold out hope. Uh, We'll see what happens when game time rolls around tonight. But I got hope right now.
1: Yeah, we we will see where that series goes. In time, I'm honestly, these playoffs have just been okay for the most part. I mean, we've looked these haven't been the greatest matchups, but you look at them on paper like, okay, that's a pretty interesting stylistic matchup. And then they just kind of turn out to be duds for the most part, which has been kind of disappointing. But hopefully game three can save these playoffs at the very least and at least give us something interesting to talk about before we fully fully commit to the offseason again like let's at least push it six come on you got this Florida I got faith in you yeah let's give us something interesting to to work with at least at, at very least there's been no sweeps in the Stanley Cup final since 1998. so even though there's been a lot of teams that go up 2-0 none of them have gone seven but none of them have been four either they win at least one fingers crossed yeah fingers crossed we're certainly hoping so but the Stanley Cup final has kind of taken a back seat for the last little bit. The offseason is kind of starting to begin, and there is some abs news, just not really the ones we would want. Greg Cronin, the coach of the Colorado Eagles, hired by the Anaheim Ducks to be their head coach for this upcoming season. This was a weird one because we never got an inkling that this was really gonna happen. Because Anaheim's been looking for a coach for a hot minute and it seems like they kind of flew under the radar for a while. There was very few reports as to what they were even looking at or that Greg Cronin was interviewing many places at all. But Greg Cronin, now the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks.
0: I I can't say I dislike the move. I dislike it on a personal basis because Cronin has done a really good job with the Colorado Eagles. And based off all accounts from like all the – all of the media who follow and talk with him say he's he's a great coach and great at developing players. Uh, I mean, look at what he – the one I saw yesterday was how, like, Alex Galchenyuk, 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 um came in and they really focused on his defensive play and it, it really improved down there in the AHL. It wasn't great in the NHL, but in the AHL he had kind of turned him around. Um, so it's a tough loss, but for Anaheim, like, I kind of like it because they aren't just recycling a head coach. Like they're bringing in a guy who's been an assistant at the at the NHL level before, last with the New York Islanders, and then he's been with the Eagles since 2018. I kind of like it taking a chance on a guy who this is going to be a very young team. Like take a guy who's proven that he can develop talent. It, it seems like a perfect fit to me.
1: Yeah, this is the kind of move that a rebuilding team should make at Coach Columbus, and. Greg Cronin, like you've said, has done a very good job with the Colorado Eagles. I mean, just listen to what Brad Hunt had to say about him this season and how much he's helped his game defensively. And there's been talks in the past that Cronin's been a guy with a temper coaching teams in the past, but a lot of that has been abated over the years, especially with the Eagles. And most importantly, I think with Cronin, he's going to work in Anaheim because he's a very good communicator. And that's where you see a lot of old-time coaches start to not know what to do in this day and age, especially when you have a player like Trevor Zegres that you're going to have to confront because he's the star of your team and sometimes doesn't really give a shit what you think. You're going to have to figure out a way to work with that guy. And I think Greg Cronin is going to come into Anaheim. I don't think they're going to be very good next year, but I don't really think it matters. It's all about taking the next step. And I think Cronin can be a guy who can push Trevor Ziegler push Jamie Drysdale, push all of that young talent in Anaheim to another level. And it's, it's a hole that the Eagles are going to have to fill. Look at what Cronin had to work with this season. Oh, yeah. Fucking nothing. They're, the amount of injuries with the avalanche gutted the Eagles who had injuries of their own to deal with. And they had to sign three college free agents basically to be icing a team towards the end of the season They still made the playoffs. And they they won a round.
0: if I believe, right?
1: They still did enough damage in them that they didn't get a participation ribbon in them. And they're going to have to figure out what they want to do now, whether they want to stay internally and hire assistant coach Aaron Schneecloth instead, go externally. I think they stay internally. Honestly, I don't think they want to mess with what they've got going. Did you
0: see Evan's tweet, though, about Alex Tangay? How he wanted Alex Tangay
1: to do it? I would love that if it's Alex Tangay. I mean, I just... I can't pretend I know too much about the effectiveness of certain AHL coaches and what they would bring to the Eagles, but knowing what I know about the Avalanche organization, I would be surprised if they went super external for their hire. Well, and that's been the success
0: of the Eagles and the abs is they both play the same style. So these, te- so these players that come up or down from the Eagles, they already know the style and the gameplay. So that I think lends more to your point where they're going to keep it internal, keep the same system that works with Bednar system and the players will continue to grow, but it's going to be interesting. It's never ideal to replace your AHL coach, but I'd rather be replacing our AHL coach than our NHL coach.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we have to worry about that for a, yeah. a very long time with Jared Bednar, but it seems, it seems like with Greg Conan, this has been a long time coming. He's been a guy, I believe 12 years of coaching experience in the NHL at the assistant level and down with the Islanders and the Maple Leafs. And he's been the head coach of the Eagles for quite some time now, since 2018. And they made the playoffs every single season outside of the, um, They didn't make it like the COVID shortened one, I believe. But every season outside of that, this team has made the playoffs. And obviously, a lot of that credit has to go to the head coach. So I'm interested to see what the Avalanche are going to do with this. And also, reportedly, Sam Malinsky, uh, one of the college guys they ended up signing during this season, came to the Eagles because he wanted to see what Greg Cronin could do for him. We'll see if that affects anything on that front. I wouldn't think so, but... Is just adds another thing to the to do list for the Abs this offseason. Awesome. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm excited to see Cronin with Adam Fantilli because if the Ducks take Fantilli, Fantilli is like the prototypical two way forward that I think Greg Cronin is going to love yeah. in Anaheim. The Ducks don't overthink this. Take Adam Fantilli. Like you don't overthink this. He's the second best player. He'd be the best player if it wasn't for some guy named Connor Bedard in pretty much every other draft class. Take Adam Fantilli. And just go with it.
1: Yeah, I think you can say that for most things about the Ducks right now. Just don't overthink it. Yeah, yeah, get Greg Cronin, the proven, very good AHL head coach with a lot of NHL coaching experience as well. Take Adam Fantilli. Don't do what Columbus is doing right now and start thinking that you're just really, really close for some reason and a an Niven Provorov away from making the playoffs. They just need to keep taking this slow. There's no rush right now. No. There's absolutely no rush. Zegris is only 22 and a guy like Jamie Drysdale is only 21. Their core still has a very long time to develop and mature and you're getting a cornerstone guy like Fantilli at second overall. He might not be Connor Bedard. who's probably going to score 50 goals at the NHL level, probably within three years and before that, but it also could be a guy who could realistically be competitive in the NHL this season.
0: I think the, the floor for it, like, the high for Fantilli is 100 points a year, but the low is only 90. Like He's going to be a 90, 95-point guy. Take the guy. Don't overthink it. And just keep building. Because, like, Zegras, I think, took a step back this year. And, I mean, you can't really blame him. That team was god-awful almost every game. But I'm interested to see. Like, I I think the Ducks made the right move here, even though it kind of
1: screws the Avs or the Eagles. Yeah. And so we'll see where it goes. We wish Cronin the best with his head coaching tenure with the Ducks. I genuinely think it's going to work. I really like the hire for Anaheim, just based on everything I know about the Eagles and how Cronin was running that team. I think it's going to translate very well to a team like the Ducks with a lot of young talent and also some patience. Just they understand they're probably not going to be very good again next year. But as long as it's not that, whatever the hell last year was where everything's going wrong, entirely they're bottom of the league and it just seems so dull and depressing this is going to be a positive season for the ducks i don't think they're going to be anywhere close to the playoffs but as long as they're competitive every night i think that's all they can ask for
0: it's all they can ask for i think cronin will get that out of them but good for Greg cronin and uh sucks for the eagles but
1: they'll find someone they always do I have no doubt the Avalanche organization is going to do just fine with their coaching hires like they have over the last couple of years. But it was a problem before Cronin. They really couldn't find a guy, but I think they'll be fine. Moving on, surprisingly, some moves starting to come down that are not AHL contracts. And the first actual trade of the offseason has already happened, and it's not a nothing deal. It's an actual like impactful trade and a three-way trade. So give me a second to break all of this down. The Blue Jackets, the Kings, and the Flyers all take part in this trade. The Columbus Blue Jackets acquire Ivan Provorov at 30% retained. The LA Kings are getting Kevin Kanahton and Hayden Hodgson, and they are the ones who retain that 30% on Ivan Provorov. And the Philadelphia Flyers are getting Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, Helge a 2024 second round pick from the Kings, a 2023 second round pick from Columbus, which ironically happens to be the Kings, and another 2024 second round pick conditional on if Columbus must decide after the 2024 first round is complete if they're sending a 2024 second round pick or 2025 second round pick to Philadelphia. That is very confusing. Language. I thought
0: they got a first round pick out of that too. I, the I, I did. Didn't. They, oh, did. you said that. Okay. Yeah, okay it, was,
1: it Columbus sent them the Kings' first round pick, which gotcha. is but yes, they did that too. So, I think this is very good news for the off season if the first thing we're seeing is a pretty creative and complicated three way deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, I I think the Kings are the winner of this trade because you get off Cal Peterson, uh, and he is he was a good young goalie. He's fallen off. I think he was making like four or 5 million a year. Wow. Um, yeah. So get off that contract. Sean Walker is a decent third pair defenseman. Like it, it, it not losing much and they created a ton of cap space and you didn't really have to give up a ton to do it. So for the Kings, I think they're the big winner uh, flyers are a close second because finally the flyers seem to realize like, Oh, we're not going to be competitive. Let's just try and accumulate as much talent as possible. I don't know if I attribute that to Keith Jones being in there, but it's it's good to see the Flyers actually realizing like, hey, we're not even cl- remotely close to winning a championship. Yeah. Let's just build for the future and find some good guys.
1: Yeah, and, th- and this is Daniel Briere's first trade as the Flyers GM. I don't even – is Keith Jones like officially doing stuff yet? Because he's still – I mean, working, he's I imagine he is. Him. I imagine they're talking to him yeah. because, you know, he's the president of the team. Right. He's also still doing – work for tnt on the stanley cup final i actually disagree i think the flyers are big winners in this trade basically only giving up ivan Provorov didn't didn't even have to be the ones who retain on his contract as well right. bringing in another team to do that as well only giving up hayden hodgson and undrafted prospect and kevin canatan who i i forgot still existed didn't basically, you play for the abs
0: for a while they, like I, two I, years yeah i think I believe, he did
1: so i like i genuinely forgot he was still in the league he played eight games with the abs four of them were in the playoffs so they oh, basically yeah. aren't giving up anything they're gonna miss because provarov was done i don't think there was any two ways around that 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 divorce was long coming and they get they're taking on money in cal peterson five million dollars for two more seasons but they're also getting a pretty decent defenseman in sean walker a decent enough prospect in granz a second round pick from 2020 35th overall significant enough to notice another first round pick and the second round pick next year as well for the flyers i i think for danny briere for his first trade this is this is a masterclass of asset management
0: yeah no it's good it's good i i just think i think the kings are the winner just cuz they're the competitive team right now and they use that money to sign re-sign gabacroft
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think... the, King, the Kings are a winner in this trade. I also think they just they gave up a little bit as well just to clear that money. They gave up on a guy like Sean Walker, who I think is very good, probably was going to get a decent raise next offseason. A significant enough prospect in Grands that it's enough to make note of and another second round pick. And also they're trading that money yet they're also retaining $2 million for Ivan Provorov for the Blue Jackets. I still think they did very well in this trade. It's just they they gave up a lot to do that still.
0: Yeah, no, I agree,
1: but they needed to do that. They needed to clear that cap space. I agree. But you look at Columbus as well. And in a vacuum, I think acquiring a player like Ivan Provorov is fine for them but I don't really understand why they're the team acquiring Ivan Provorov the same way I don't understand why they're giving Mike Babcock a four-year contract. Yeah. Like, Provorov is a good defenseman. Like, he's good. His stock has taken a hit over the last couple of years. He was – he's generally not been very good the last couple of years. Not terrible, but not great either. There's also – baggage there that you're going to have to sell to fans in Columbus that are not going to be happy about this trade and I just don't really see what the Blue Jackets vision is right now yeah you know what you're probably going to be better than you were last year because of all the injuries and everything like that you're not going to be a bottom five team in the NHL but does adding Ivan Provorov really improve the situation around this team right now he sure he Technically makes you better, but is he really moving that needle enough that you need to be moving on from first round picks right now? Yeah, I, I don't know, especially
0: in this draft class. I, I don't know why you would do that, but I honestly think who's their GM for Columbus? Why am I blanking Jarmo, on his name? Jarmo Kekalainen. I think he's on the hot seat and he realizes that uh, he's got to make these moves to, uh, to get the team
1: back going. Yeah, honestly, I think that's the best explanation I've heard. For any of this because other than that i really don't know what the plan is for the blue jackets i can see ownership looking at this and be like we've been a mediocre to bad team for far too long in our existence we just spent all this money on johnny gaudreau why are we picking third overall in the draft right now when we should be talking about making the playoffs i can see that from that perspective but also that's not the reality here with this team and what they need to be doing. This is a a young hockey team that is going to take a couple of years, but if you do it right, can genuinely be a contender. And I, again, the Mike Babcock signing, we talked about it on Sunday for Monday's episode. I've had a few days to think about it and I still don't get it. Like I still for the life of me cannot understand how they think this is a good one.
0: Well, dude, th- they were a team that, If the ping pong balls went their way and they got the number one overall pick, I think this offseason would be going in a completely different direction. But since they fell to three, they're like, well, fuck, like we're not getting the one of the two generational stars might as well just fucking keep putting this down the road and just be as competitive as possible. Because I really do think if they won the draft lottery, I think this team would be in a much different position.
1: Well, whose fault is that, that they don't have the second overall pick right now? It's theirs, because they yeah. won a few of their last couple. They beat Pittsburgh in the second to last game of the season, and they lost in overtime on the last day of the season again. So even if they lost the draft lottery, they'd be where Anaheim is right now and be like, okay, well, at least we're getting Adam Fantilly. Right but Now they have to kind of accept the drop-off in the draft. Still going to get a, probably a very, very good player at third overall. It's just not going to be Bedard or Fantilli. Would it's, it shock you in the least if they trade that third pick? Probably, considering the how good this draft class... I mean, you're giving up a chance to pick any of Leo Carlson, Mitch Kov, Will Smith. Like Those are all very good players who are going to have very good careers. You would have to really justify that trade, trading third overall. No, I agree. But I I mean, just based off of these moves, I would not shock me in the least if that pick's available. Yeah, I mean, i I wouldn't be surprised considering what kekalainen could be going through yeah. from ownership right now if that's the case but i also you better be bringing in a hell of a player yeah. if that's the case a hell of a player if you're doing that and you go back to last offseason as well it really does get buried underneath the johnny gaudreau signing and getting him for under 10 million dollars which everyone thought he was going to get way more than that last offseason and columbus comes in as a surprise on the last day to sign him they also signed Eric Branson last year at four times four and had to trade Oliver Bjorkstrand for pennies, which I went on the show at the time and said, this is awful. This is a horrible trade for them. Bjorkstrand's going to be great in Seattle. And he wasn't even as good as I thought he was going to be in Seattle and still incredibly effective for them. So it's been a couple of off seasons in Columbus now where I'm really not quite sure what the plan is is. I think the plan is we're young and we have the prospects. So we're going to start trying to build up a team that's going to be competitive sooner than later. But I also think there's much better ways to go about this.
0: Much better ways. I.E. not Mike Babcock.
1: Yeah. So that's that. Again, that, that to me is just a disaster waiting to happen. We, we talked about with Greg Cronin just in this day and age, you need coaches that can talk to young players and Mike Babcock is not that guy. He's not, he's not going to be, he's not going to be that guy who's going to find out what makes you tick and how to best work with you. Mike Babcock is going to do things his way and only his way. And maybe that worked 10, 20 years ago, but as the players get younger and they have less tolerance for shit like this, it's not going to work, especially on a team as young as Columbus is. And also has veterans like Johnny Gaudreau and I guess alleged veteran Patrick Line at this point, who I ca- I cannot think of a worse fit for Mike Babcock than Patrick Line. I mean, oh, it's going
0: to be so funny to watch. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah, as someone who's not it. affected by Columbus at all, this is going to be very funny. But as putting myself in the shoes of someone who is a fan of this team, I just don't get it. Me either. Columbus is going to be very interesting the rest of
0: this offseason. That's for damn sure.
1: Yeah. But th-
0: thanks to those guys for getting some news in the NHL.
1: We appreciate that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting trade with a lot worth talking about. And we can spin this back to the Avs and look at what the first trade was of the offseason, where a team like the Kings, like the Blue Jackets and the Flyers, all have to get very creative to get business done right now and start bringing in another team to get their business to get through and for the kings creatively trying to clear up that cap space the abs are going to have to do things like this this offseason they're going to have to get creative because they don't have the the grands prospects they don't have that second round pick they can use to just acquire players or clear off money they're going to have to get creative hey everybody hope you've been enjoying this episode so far interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsors at draft kings sportsbook Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook because right now new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly, especially now as we get into the final as the Vegas Golden Knights take on the Florida Panthers. DraftKings Sportsbook has got you covered with just about any bet you could possibly imagine. Obviously, money line, puck line, all that great stuff, but you can bet same game parlays, playoff series props player props, anything you can think of. You can even bet on the draft coming up in less than a month. Anything you can think of, DraftKings Sportsbook has got you covered. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelp.com. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text hope ny 467 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state specific responsible gambling resources. Now back to the episode.
0: They're going to have to get creative and not just kind of creative. They're gonna have to get ultra creative. Like it's not just a little bit creative. It's it's big time creative.
1: Yeah. They're going to probably have to find teams to retain money, but we can also go back to the flyers as well. If they're really open for business, like it seems like they are right now, We've heard reports that like Carter Hart, is they're listening to him. And if Carter Hart's on the market, honestly, I think pretty much most people on that team should be at this point if that's the direction the Flyers are going in. So for the Avalanche, a guy like Kevin Hayes has been very loosely connected to them for pretty much ever since the trade deadline. He still has three years left at $7 million. But if the Flyers really are doing this fire sale right now, would that be something the Avs look into with Kevin Hayes as a three-year solution at two C? I mean,
0: they're definitely going to look into it, but just judging off what Briere did in this trade, I can't imagine the price is going to be what we want it to be for it. No. I mean, so,
1: at the end of the day, this trade does not happen without retention. Right. That is, is the starting point for this whole conversation. Is you probably need to get that contract. Closer to $5 million, at probably at least $2 million of retention. Are the Flyers going to be the team that does that? Do you bring in a third team to do that? Do you have the assets to pull off a three-team trade like this? I think we're going to find out a lot of these answers over the coming weeks, but especially when you look at this UFA class, I think this is what this off season is going to be. A lot of trades like this, where you got to kind of look at it for a minute or so to really fully understand everything that's going on. And we already have, we already have the ball rolling with one. And so I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these start to come down.
0: Well, I mean the, the weeks leading up to the draft are going to be crazy. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be absurd. So like, would I like Kevin Hayes on the abs? Absolutely. But I, I, just based off what Briere got for Provorov, who I think is a far less superior player. I don't know if that's going to happen, dude. Like, it's going to be tough. Like, and he still has three years left. So they aren't in a rush to trade him. Like, it, it, It's going to be like a Matt Duchesne type situation. I feel like where it's going to be, this could be like two years of speculation before he ever gets moved.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just the state of the team he's on right now. I don't think anybody is off the table. If Carter Hart is on the table at all, everyone's on the table. And if guys like Travis Konechny, because he's two years away from, from UFA, like I think maybe the only guy not is like Joel Faraby or something like that. A guy I would like for the ABS, I'd be a
0: depth piece. I like Scott Lawton
1: a lot. I like Scott Lawton too. I've looked into that a little as well. He's got $3 million a year for three more seasons, 29 years old. He's always been a guy that I wished hit the open market because he's the guy I would have loved on the abs or the capitals over the years, not a super flashy player career high of 43 points, which was this season in 78 games, but just the kind of guy that you stick on the third line and just forget it. He's going to be an effective player pretty much every single yeah.
0: time. And that's what I like about him is that would add some depth to our team. Immense depth. But, like, if there was a way you could work a trade where you get Hayes and Lawton, I think that'd be cool. We're, but, we're getting
1: super creative. At yeah.
0: That. Like, it, it just sucks because the Abs don't really have the assets to move, do this type, other than the first round picks. And it, it seems like McFarland's only going to move the first round pick if it's absolutely, like, a guaranteed player.
1: Right. But also, like, you start talking, okay, we're putting Kevin Hayes in this trade for retention. Let's throw Scott Lawton in there as well. We're not talking draft picks anymore. We're talking players because yeah. you got to move money. What player comes off the team? What's the first name that comes to mind? It's Sam Gerrard. Correct. And so that's the road we're starting to go down at this point with the Flyers. Another guy that could, I Could you doing, imagine Gerrard in a John Tortorella system? <laughs> you, you know what? You just said that. And that just threw cold water on everything I just said. <sighs> with- that would yeah. be hilarious. My God. But I was going to say another guy on the flyers that I really like. And I think if you can find a way to steal this guy before he gets too valuable, this could be a huge addition. Noah Cates just had his rookie season, 24 years old. Had 13 goals, 25 assists in 82 games, and was one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL this season, no matter what metric you look at. yeah. If there somehow is a way that the Flyers don't value this guy as much as they should, and if you can somehow pry him out of there, he's an RFA with arbitration rights right now, I think teams should definitely look into that, and I think the Avs should definitely be all over that if they really are fire sailing it right now
0: doesn't it kind of suck that the flyers actually for the first time in a long time have some competent front office like that kind of sucks well because we'll
1: we'll see it's been but they definitely still hired like former players keith jones danny briere you know let's see them go through a full off season first but
0: i mean if it was chuck fletcher in there still like we, we we could pull these trades off for like a seventh round pick so, so that kind he, of sucks. He just but, wouldn't do anything at all.
1: He would just right. be like, I like this team. It's fine. Yeah. But
0: we'll see. I mean, there's definitely some interesting players on the flyers. If they do become available, it's just going to be the abs are going to have to get creative and they don't really have the assets to do that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, so but you don't get to be creative and blame it on the, a lack of assets. You got to get creative no matter what you have. You have first round picks to use. You have prospects. They're not the greatest prospects, but you have them. You have things to work with. I mean, it's not, it's not the trade deadline anymore where you can get away with picking around the edges. Your bottom six, shit, your second line down does not exist right now. (laughs) You have your top line under contract right now, and pretty much the only top six guy that you have under contract under your first line, Val Chushkin, And we'll see if he's available for game one, because we still don't have a definitive answer on that. I mean, you want to see what, what Cat Friendly is looking at with what we have on our depth right now for guys either RFA or under contract? Let's hear So second line after Lekin and McKinnon, Rantanen is O'Connor, Newhook, Nachushkin. Those are at least NHLers. Now we're talking Oscar Olauson, Ben Myers, Dennis Mulgan, Curtis McDermott, Jean-Luc Foodie, and Callahan Burke. You don't have a bottom six right now to work with. You have to make moves. And there's going to be guys in UFA, but you're going to have to make some deals before that market comes. You have to make some moves. And I, I, they will. They will. Like, I'm not, I have no doubt that they're going to do things with this team. That's a good way. That's a very, they're going to do things, but they kind of have to. to. (laughs) Again, it's not the trade deadline where you can get away with picking around the edges. You're missing half your team right now. You have an entire bottom six to build at the moment. And you, you have to figure that out. And it's going to be whether over the next couple of weeks, leading up to the draft or in UFA, like, don't worry, they're going to do something. They're going to do something
0: and I'm excited for it, but We'll have to see, man. I I can't wait for it. Like it's, it it just kind of feels like a ticking time bomb in a good way where it's like, all right, we're, we're getting closer and closer to some shit actually fucking happening here.
1: This whole off season feels like a ticking time bomb right now. I can barely remember feeling like the playoffs are like in the way of the off season more than I have this season where it's like, yeah, the playoffs are on, but like, is Alex to getting traded anytime soon? Or are the senators going to pay him that absurd amount of money? Whereas like you look at pretty much every team; they've got like very interesting solutions to problems that they have right now. And the cap's only going up one million dollars, and the UFA class isn't very good, which yeah. means the trade market is probably going to be wide open.
0: It's gonna be wide open. To bring it on the abs would be fucking sick, but that that doesn't solve any of our problems. But yeah. the, I, I just imagine to bring it playing with McKinnon, and it's like, yeah, that
1: guy's gonna score like sixty goals. Yeah, if you could get him for like. Three million bucks. Yeah, not going to happen, but that'd be really fucking cool. I would certainly love that to be the case. But again, trade market, there's just a whole bunch of questions that need answering over the next couple of weeks. We're starting to see a couple with this first trade with Columbus and also starting to see some names start to come off of the UFA board, the biggest of which today the Kings following up on the trade they made two days ago. They now sign Vlad Gabrikov to a two-year contract worth five point eight seven five per year, and pretty much entirely in signing bonuses. It's entirely. I don't get why Gabrikov did this.
0: Like, why are you taking a two-year deal, dude?
1: It's a very interesting move. I guess he's very interested in getting a lot of that money up front. It's very rare you see a guy at twenty-seven bet on themselves. Maybe he thinks he has more in him. I mean, the guy this season in 72 games had 19 points, three goals on each team, was able to to fetch a pretty decent haul at the trade deadline for the Blue Jackets that they kind of just gave to Billy now. So we'll see where their plan is with that. I don't know. I'm interested to know why he took a two-year contract. I think the AAV is pretty fair for the kind of player that he is in that $6 million range but it seems because he asked for it. It's not like he had to get negotiated down. It was reported well before this contract came out, or at least a few days that he wanted a two year deal.
0: Weird. Very weird. Very, very weird. And he's in California too. So a bonus is going to get taxed. I I don't know, man.
1: I I, I guess we'll just never know the feeling of having like $5 million. Yeah. Bank account at once. That'd be, that'd
0: be a cool feeling. That'd be really cool. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know, but it does raise the question now that Gabricov signed. What is Devon Taves going to get? Because I would say Devon Taves personally is a much better defenseman than Gabricov.
1: Yeah. See, when this when all the the rumors started to come out about this contract over the last couple of days, and it was reported that Gabricov's looking between six to seven million dollars, my first instinct was like, okay, Taves is gone, because that means at least eight. Because he is a much better defenseman than than Vlad Gavrikov. And again, Gavrikov is not bad. Taze is just on a whole nother level. Now that we've seen two years thrown into that, though, I feel like this makes it a very hard comparison because I cannot imagine a reality where Devontae is taking anything close to a two-year contract.
0: That'd be really cool if he did. It'd be sick yeah, really and
1: awesome cool. if he really wanted to do that. But as someone who's paying an agent to get him money – I cannot say no,
0: there's no chance. There's no chance. I do think that he's I think seven, 7.5 is where he's going to fall out. I really do. I, yeah. I think that's where he's going to fall out. Um, The best would be seven, but I I think he could get 7.5 from a team. I really do.
1: Yeah. I mean, if he has a truly outstanding season this year, I mean, we could be talking upwards of eight. I don't think correct out, out of the realm of possibility at all. I mean, this is a guy in Devontae's that even though he was playing with Kale McCarr got like significant Norris votes, like enough to be in the top ten. Enough people had him top five on their ballot. And we consider it he had a drop off this year because he wasn't that. He was top only top twenty this time. Yeah, I mean, because he's making what, four point six is what he's making now. I believe it's a, around that area. I believe it's four points it's four point one. Oh, Jesus Christ. How did we get away with that? Like <laughs> we've had Taze at 4.1 for three whole seasons. Kind of makes me mad. We didn't sign into like seven years at that. Yeah. But I mean, but, it's, it's, a, it's a fair contract based on what he'd done with the Islanders at the time. And i uh, turned that into like, wow, we are vastly underpaying this guy. Yeah.
0: But I mean, if you look at it, he's going to be doubling his salary almost if he goes to 7 million. So maybe he does find a way to stick with the abs, but, it's going to be like, I feel like it's going to happen with every defenseman that gets a contract. We're going to be like, oh, that's really good for Devontae's, or oh, that's really bad for Taves. We just don't know. Um, I'm really hoping July 1st comes and it's like, oh, Devontae's assigned a new six year, $6.5 million deal.
1: I would like that. love that. That'd be really cool. It's like I've said, it's already starting, but once July 1st happens, Devontae's is going to be one of the main conversations on this yeah. team for the entire offseason the entirety of next season and leading up to the UFA market next year. If he's because not signed, it's, it's all we're gonna talk about.
0: Yeah. And it's gonna be interesting because like what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize Devon Taves or in two years when Miko Ranton's up? Like you, you I love Devon Taves, but Miko Ranton's the bigger priority.
1: Yeah. I mean so you, you
0: can't hamstring yourself to a contract with Devontaes who is vastly important to this team and potentially lose out on Miko Ranton.
1: Right. I don't think there's ever a world where the Avalanche would allow themselves to move on from Miko Ranton, especially unrestricted free agency. Yeah. Even if Taze gets money, I would imagine they're sacrificing several other people before yeah. they would ever consider letting Miko walk out the door for nothing. But you have to consider that as a possibility where you look at these playoffs where what's been the main theme depth. Where now if you get if you're gonna sign Devon Taze to seven and a half potentially eight million dollars if you're talking worst case scenario and then two years from now probably giving miko a posternock ish contract all of a sudden a lot of these cap hits are going to add up really quickly is it better to have players like that locked up or to spread that money through the rest of your lineup i think that's going to be a question a lot of teams are going to ask themselves over the next several seasons is is having a player like this worth it or is it better to have maybe not a top pair defenseman but also three second pairs
0: yeah i mean that's where it's the it's a double-edged sword because you want the balance but you also want the good players to stay and it's in the old school way like probably like five years ago when the penguins were doing this like it was you lock up the core four and then you just plug and play people right but that's kind of been phased out a little bit more as we moved on and it's going to be interesting. It's well, going to be really interesting.
1: One of the reasons why they used to work so well back in the day is the salary cap would go up. And right. now here we are uh, three seasons removed from the pandemic. And we've seen it go up 3 million bucks essentially. And that whole, if that even might be like two for all I remember, maybe next year is when we start to see it go up three, $5 million maybe, but In a salary cap era like this, it genuinely gets hard for teams to pay players that kind of money, because it was not that long ago in a world where we all justified what the Maple Leafs were doing with Matthews and Marner, because that salary cap's going up, up, up. What Nothing's going to stop that other than the worldwide pandemic that got in the way. Like remember when Dreisaitl got signed and people were like, oh my god, that's so much money. Look at it now; it's a ridiculously it's the best company. contract in sports. Yeah, it's one of the best contracts in sports, and that was going to be the plan with the Maple Leafs and Marner <laughs> and Matthews, but it just didn't work out that way. As the once in a lifetime event happened. Yeah, is there
0: a world where you could see like a world where? Austin Matthews is part of a package for Devon Taves and a couple other pieces to the abs.
1: Matthews is part of the package. Like Matthews would come to the abs. With other things for Taves. Yes. I can't see that. That'd be really cool though. I, it would be really cool. I mean, I, if you're doing something like that and you're trading Taves, I think trading contract situations makes sense. Yeah. Like you go back to the William Nylander thing. Cause you, with only one year left of Taze at 4.1, there's only so much you can maximize asset-wise. If he right. had five more years of that, then you can probably talk teams into like a superstar kind of swap or something like that. But in terms of like you're trading Taze for a Matthews-esque player, I don't think we're getting the package in that yeah, instance.
0: That'd be, could you imagine just a one-two punch of McKinnon and Matthews though? <laughs>
1: Well, apparently, according to our Twitter polls, that <laughs> having a one-two at center doesn't mean that much. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. But it's going to be interesting what happens with Devontae. Like you said, this is going to be a topic of conversation all offseason. Until a deal is done, it's going to be a topic of conversation. And yep. I don't know what the Avs are going to do. I, I really don't,
1: don't. I really don't know if there's like a right or wrong answer definitively. I, I It just depends on what Taze wants. If Devontae wants that $8 million contract – for seven to eight years then it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to be bringing that back if you can find a way to work out a reasonable contract for reasonable term then yeah i can see it getting done i think it really just comes down to what does devon want the abs want to keep him i don't think there's any question about that i think devon wants to stay but the root of all evil is going to come into play what's the money
0: well, what's the money? And I wonder what the term is. Because like, what if the abs offer him longer term and consistent money? Would that entice him more? Because like, what if you signed Taves to like a seven year, $42 million deal?
1: Right. Like, and then Devontae's 29 going to be 30 when that contract eventually starts next season. When do you worry about the aging curve? When does that start? Because Devontae's was a late bloomer in his career. He didn't even make his debut until 2018 played 48 games with the Islanders. And then he only played two seasons with the Islanders and it was in that COVID shortened season. Then he's come to the abs where he's played more games for them than he did for the Islanders. So you can argue the mileage isn't there, but also we've seen young bloomers. They have a couple really good years. And then for some reason they just burn out. I don't think that's right. going to happen with Devontae's just because of how good of a player he is, but you can make the argument either way.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't mind paying Devontae till he's like 37. Yeah. Because, I mean, maybe the last two years of that deal suck, but you get the five good years that Devontae brings. Yeah.
1: I mean, if I think if you somehow get a five-year contract done, I think that's that's perfect in yeah. that instance where you have him until he's 35. I don't think he's going to be the same Devontae's through the entire contract, but I think – that's the kind of player who is going to have decent longevity. Maybe he's not a top pair defenseman by the time he's 34, 35, but still is always going to have that hockey IQ in him. That's going to make him be able to stick around in the league.
0: Yeah. That's kind of my thought process with it, that he may stick around for less money if it's longer term.
1: Right. But also like, is he just going to expect maximum term anyway, no matter where he goes? And that's, there's not going to be a discount for that because, well, that's what I want. And here's the asking price for that. And if you want less years, you're going to have to give me more money. Yeah, that's going to be tough.
0: But we'll have to see, man. It's going to be interesting for sure.
1: Yeah. And you look at the Taze conversation, you can't have it without talking about Bo Byram. And that's a whole other can of worms because you really look at both of these Tays and Byram, there's not really comparables for them where you look at like a similar career, similar situations. Like you see a lot of teams right now, like the Canadians just did with Cole Caulfield signing up their younger players to long term contracts that probably cheaper than what they're going to be, but more expensive than what they are right now but also a guy like Cole Caulfield has also suffered through an injury history, but is also a forward and has proven that he's one of the core members of this team. And Byram, what would a long-term contract even look like for him? Like, are we talking like if you sign him eight years, like, are we talking seven? Like, is that the kind of contract we'd have to do with him to get that done? I think so, but that just doesn't make sense for either side, right? Because if,
0: if Bo Byram is going to be a player, we think he's going to be, why give up more term
1: when in two years you could make $9 million a year? See, the thing is, like, I think if they're offering him seven, I think for Byron that I think you can sway him with that. I think when we're talking like, oh, we'll give you five or six years for five and a half, six million dollars. That doesn't make any sense for Byram to be doing. But I still think for the sake of both sides, the Avalanche have not seen Byram play a full season. And he's been fantastic in all the games that he's played in, which for Byron, if you're playing a full season, you're probably going to get a lot of money on your next contract. But that's also the thing. Why would you take a long-term contract when you haven't shown your best yet? And if you're the Avalanche, maybe you want to see a full season first before you start throwing around those big bucks. Correct.
0: And I, I think that's what we're going to see. Like Byron is going to get like two years and we'll, punt this down the road till the Miko free agency.
1: Right. And I I see a lot of people being like, well, the Canadians are doing this and the Sabres are doing this. They're in very different situations than the Apple. They
0: aren't in cup windows.
1: Right. They're not in immediate cup windows. Like they don't already have the $12.6 million contracts already on the books where you have to squeeze every cent that you work with from there on out. They're signing their core players to those deals already. Those are their building blocks. The Avalanche have theirs. And Byram, it's tough because you can't just throw those big contracts at a guy like that right away because you want to have them cheaper for a few more years and squeeze every game you can out of cup contention windows. Yeah, maybe long-term, five or six years from now, you sign that contract and you're better off for it. But also, that does give you less room to work with in the now when your Stanley Cup window when you have Rantanen on the contract he's on and Taze for one more year and all the other guys that the Avalanche still have locked up now. It gives you a better chance to win with that team than the one you're, you're dealing with in the future. Right. So it, it, I would be shocked if it's anything more than a two-year deal. I yeah. would. I mean, I would, I would welcome it, especially because I think if they do go long-term, I don't think we're looking like seven or eight million dollars you probably are if you're signing into a bridge deal I you can sway me either way honestly like if it's a short term deal then you live with it and you figure it all out later once you have like a Taze contract figured out or not figured out at all and figure out how much money you're going to be giving Bo Byram and how much you can afford to give him and if it's long term you don't have to worry about it ever again you're fine alright but all right. Well,
0: we'll see I mean I think everyone's kind of in agreement. Newhook's deal is going to be like two years, two point five, maybe. That,
1: that's a bridge deal. Yeah, there, there's no reason for the Avalanche to be signing him long term yet. No. He, like no. By, Byram, has earned a spot and a role on the team. Newhook is still doing that.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to see. But it's going to be a fun off season. It's already been fun compared to what I thought it was going to be. So yeah.
1: I think we, I think we've made it through the worst of it so right. far. I mean, obviously that's August, but like, that's when everything is done anyway. So at least we've had some playoff hockey to carry us through the, the doldrums of the
0: (laughs) feels weird saying that, but we
1: have the, the dead space of the off season before the craziness of the draft and everything. I I genuinely think we're, we are in for a treat with a lot of these deals that are coming down. Like there's like, what, like what's Boston going to do? Like with like, is Bergeron coming back? It, Is anyone coming back on that team? Do they have to move out money? Like, was that genuinely the last chance they had? You can pretty much point to any team in the NHL and be like, what the hell are they going to do? Yeah, the Avs are actually kind of in a good spot because they it's just like every like
0: key free agent is a restricted one and you kind of have the full arsenal to go at it.
1: I mean, they still have to figure out what they're gonna do with Erod. I, I still think they're gonna find a way yeah. to bring him back somehow if, as long as he's not asking for too much money. It's just it you've been waiting for over a month at this point, and you're just you're so ready for these moves to start to come down. But I, I feel like we're getting close to, to something. The Avalanche have not been involved in really any news outside of Cronin as of late, but that's kind of box standard for them yeah. anyway box standard stuff so yeah so yeah i mean unless you've got any last second wisdom for us i think we're we're all set um i'm trying to think i don't think there's any last second wisdom like i don't know
0: you're a guy who goes to the gym uh there's this uh one dude who's always working out there with me and we just have like an unspoken we've never said a word to each other but we just give each other head nods all the time um and uh he seems like a cool dude never said a word to him, but yeah. I think you all have those gym buddies who are just kind of that way. Yeah.
1: That will be one of the best friends you ever have. And you yeah. might say five words to each other in your entire life.
0: Yeah. We're on the same like routine. Like he does legs. I do legs. He does chest. When I do chest, it's just like, we're just in sync, man. And we've oh. said no words to each other. It's yeah. just,
1: well, well, now you have an obligation to to keep showing up because right. if you're not there he's going to be disappointed or think you are a loser for not showing up to the gym. So now you got to keep going back.
0: Yeah. I had an old lady, uh, cause the gym I go to, there's a retirement home right down the road. And, uh, she was like, wow, you work really hard. And it's like, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to lose weight. And it looks like I'm trying really hard because I'm trying to get 10 miles a day on the bike and you're just trying to not get osteoporosis in your knees and you're going like two miles
1: per hour. Yeah. But it was very nice of her to say that I worked really hard. I appreciated that. Yeah. Gym's always a interesting experience. You never really know what you're going to get. No. Never do. Never do. But as long as yeah. there's no kids. Yeah. Eh, eh. There's a ton. Yeah. So that's been Christian's gym corner for this episode. And I mean, we, we could do mailbag for today. I mean, one of the questions was about, do you think the playoffs have kind of peaked at this point after the first round and they've been a little disappointing. So uh sorry, Dylan, that we answered your question very early in the show, but Dylan did ask, Are you guys feeling these playoffs just aren't very exciting this year? First round peaked and it's petered off badly. Have found myself not caring for the most part.
0: Yeah. I mean, kind of hit the nail on the head right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That's that's exactly how it's been for the last little bit for these playoffs. Just maybe wait till next year. We'll get uh, maybe a few more exciting matchups. And we have Peter asking me how I can take uh, Milan Heyduke over Peter Forsberg in Hmm. our fantasy draft a few days ago it's a fair question but i knew i would have the choice of one of mckinnon or forsberg in the coming round if christian was doing what i thought he was going to do which was probably take kale mccarr and even if he didn't take kale mccarr then i would have just taken kale mccarr so i mean mckinnon forsberg you can only have two centers yeah that was my thought process behind taking hey duke at the very least with my second pick, who also not a bad pick. I don't know. I don't feel like I need to justify it that much because still one of the best players in franchise history, not as ridiculous as Peter Forsberg, but also McKinnon's a pretty fine. Yeah, in I, I think you did. Good. Was there another one? That, those were the only two for this one. Yeah, I
0: mean, just look at it as a uh, this. I, I'm the better drafter of all time players. That's uh, just how I take it. So yeah. I'm definitely not letting this go to my head.
1: Yeah, you want a coin toss, and you got Patrick Watt, and yeah. everyone saw that, and Kale McCarr, and they're like, "Oh, this is better." I'll, i I'll still defend my team. I still Sakik McKinnon. I'd put that up against any defense. I'll take it every time.
0: I like your odds, but
1: the numbers show that I, I won. I, I like <laughs> my odds too, and you know what? You know, who's to say the person running that poll is reliable? I know I'm not reliable. And I was the one running the poll. So should we really be validating these results at the end of the day?
0: We'll have to see, man. But I, I felt pretty good about it. It, w- it was nice to see the uh nice to see the dub come my way.
1: I don't think people realize that Patrick Waugh can't play every game. We have <laughs> two goalies and they have to alternate. And I thought and I thought everyone hated Philip Grubauer, but apparently not. So
0: I mean I I'm just more shocked that 52 people voted on it.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's probably the biggest upset here is that anybody cared at yeah. all. So we'll
0: take it. But
1: yeah, 67 to 33. I, how did it go up from the time the poll ended? I thought it was
0: 60-40. It says 67-33. I'm looking at it right
1: now. We'll see what the Electoral College thinks about this. <laughs> I had 35
0: people vote for me.
1: Okay. For a second there, I thought you meant you got 35 people to vote. No. I was about to be like, oh, really? You did now?
0: (laughs) No. I didn't rig the election that bad.
1: Okay. We'll see about that. I'm the only one with access to this poll, so we'll see just how integral these are. Fair. But regardless, I think we're ready to wrap this one up. We need to get you on the way to the Nuggets game. Oh, yeah, man. Nuggets
0: game's about to start as we're finishing up right now. Uh, They need to win tonight. I'm just going to
1: say that. So... That's a pretty solid analysis. When you're in yeah. the NBA Finals, the best strategy is, in fact, to, to win, win for the most. Yes. yes. So. so let's go, Nugs. Let's go, Nugs. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Use promo code Teledabs It Is on SeatGeek for $20 off your first order of $50 or more. You know, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at G Young's and NHL, you can follow Christian at Christian underscore Belay, and you can follow the show at Tell It, Abs It Is. But again, thank you all so very much for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. But until then, let's go Abs.